Hi, folks, and welcome to today's episode of the Unknown Friends podcast. This week, you've tuned into episode 32 of season two, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wham Productions, and if you're interested in learning more about me and my work as a Christian playwright, you can visit my website, kittywhamproductions.com. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, and if you enjoy listening, I'd love it if you leave a quick review at the end of today's episode. This week, we're discussing Jane Austen again. I hope you're not tired of her yet. I know I've already discussed three of her novels on the podcast, Mansfield Park earlier this year, and both Sense and Sensibility and Persuasion last year in season one. But each of her novels just offers something so different and valuable that I never get tired of reading her books or talking about them. So today, we're discussing her novel, Northanger Abbey, which is particularly unique among her six major novels. And I really hope you enjoy hearing some thoughts about the merits of this particular book. So we've discussed Jane Austen's life a little bit before in some of those past episodes. You can listen to my previous Austen reviews in Season 2, Episodes 3 and 4, and in Season 1, Episodes 7 and 20. I'm not going to reiterate details of her biography in this episode. The basics are simply that Jane Austen lived from 1775 to 1817. She wrote six, or arguably seven, major novels. She was the daughter of a clergyman. She never married, and she died of some kind of illness at age 41. It's been speculated that she might have had either Hodgkin's lymphoma or Addison's disease, um, but we really don't know for sure what it was. But she was a brilliant writer, um, fairly popular in her day, and of course, immensely popular and well-respected in time, and for good reason. She has an incredible wit and ability to portray characters and character development, and she genuinely invented some narrative techniques in her novels. She is seriously a formidable mind and talent, and her works are well worth reading and rereading and rereading because you can unearth more gems of insight and humor every time you return. At least that's certainly been my experience. So Northanger Abbey was actually published after Jane Austen's death, together with her last finished novel, Persuasion. However, Northanger Abbey was actually written many years earlier. In fact, before Austen had published any books, she completed an early version of the novel and sold the copyright to a publisher in 1803, when she was 27. But to her disappointment, they never actually published the book. It wasn't until 1811, eight years later, that Austen had her first novel published, Sense and Sensibility, by a different publisher, and then Pride and Prejudice, Mansfield Park, and Emma followed in fairly quick succession over the next few years. Then finally, in 1816, Jane Austen's brother Henry was able to buy back the copyright of Northanger Abbey from the publisher who didn't publish it, 
and then Jane spent some time revising the novel over the next year or two. But she passed away in mid-1817, before she was able to have the book published. So after her death, her brother took both the revised Northanger Abbey and Jane's most recently completed novel, Persuasion, and got them published together as a set in December 1817. So Northanger is unique in that it's sort of one of her first and also one of her last novels. It's got this youthful energy and humor about it, but since she had the opportunity to make changes to it years later as a seasoned writer, it also has a depth and a polish to it that you might not expect given its younger style and tone. So what is Northanger Abbey about? Our heroine is young Catherine Moreland, and she certainly is young. Um, in spirit, I would call her the youngest of all Austen's heroines. She's very naive, which contributes significantly to the novel's humor. She's naive and trusting and ignorant and super sweet um, and humble and teachable. She really is a lovely person, even though she should make you laugh quite a bit as you read. So Catherine is our heroine, and her story starts when she's invited to visit the city of Bath for several weeks with her friends, Mr. and Mrs. Allen. She has never been away from home before, and so she's just thrilled, and she goes to Bath with high hopes of making new friends and having new experiences there. So she goes, and the first person she meets is Mr. Henry Tilney, a young clergyman visiting Bath. He is very friendly and witty and sarcastic, and some of what he says goes more or less over Catherine's head, but she likes him a lot. And then shortly after meeting Henry... She then makes friends with the Thorpe family, particularly the eldest daughter, Isabella Thorpe. And Isabella is a problematic character. She is lively and outgoing and very affectionate in words. And she's also flirty and unprincipled. The reality is that Isabella is highly mercenary and is out to catch a husband, but Catherine is completely ignorant of this. A central aspect of Catherine's naivete is that she takes words to be realities. She accepts as true a person's statements or stories about themselves, even when the person's actions contradict their statements. So Isabella Thorpe is full of statements, good statements even, but she is a complete hypocrite. She will talk about how much she loves her new friend Catherine, and then she will manipulate her, leave her in the lurch, try to make her do things she doesn't want to do, and on and on. Isabella talks about how she loathes men who try to get her attention, and all the while, she is desperately trying to get their attention. She's honestly kind of a terrible person. But she has been introduced to Catherine as a good potential friend, and she speaks 
mostly good things. And so Catherine takes Isabella at her word. So Catherine, in a very short time, comes to consider Isabella as her closest friend. They go everywhere and do everything together during their stay in Bath. And it turns out the two girls have brothers who are friends at Oxford. Catherine's brother, James, currently studies there, as does Isabella's brother, John. And early in the novel, both young men make a visit together to Bath to see their sisters. Well, it turns out Catherine's brother, James, is interested in the beautiful and high-spirited Isabella, and Isabella's brother, John, becomes interested in Catherine. Now, theoretically, this could work out because there's no love triangle or anything. It's just two couples we would have here. But the problem is that John Thorpe is just as bad as his sister Isabella in talking much different than he lives. He is a ridiculous boaster. Both of them just exaggerate all the time. And to anyone who's very perceptive, they're just not very pleasant people to be around because they're so inconsistent and self-focused and all this. However, neither Catherine nor her brother James are particularly perceptive people. They're both naive, and they both ignorantly just take people at their word. So James Moreland is falling for Isabella, and Catherine might be in danger of falling for John Thorpe, if it weren't for the fact that she is a very honest person herself, a very principled person. She's usually naive about the deceptions and inconsistencies of others, but she does see the world pretty black and white. And so over time, with both the Thorpes, but especially with John, Catherine can see that his statements don't always match up to his actions. Now, she doesn't really suspect him of having any ill motive or a bad heart, but she does soon become aware that he isn't always quite accurate in everything he says. And even with Isabella, she eventually can't help but realize that Isabella sometimes contradicts herself. But Catherine still assumes only good about her friend and assumes that she herself must be mistaken or something. Like I said, she's very humble and trusting, so even when she does eventually start to observe inconsistencies, she doesn't read into them. Now, the other big thing that protects Catherine from falling for John Thorpe is her liking of Mr. Henry Tilney, the first gentleman she'd met in Bath. Eventually, she meets his sister, Eleanor, whom Catherine likes very much, and she gets to be better friends over time with both Henry and Eleanor, who are from a very respectable, somewhat well-off family. They're both highly intelligent, and they make pleasant companions. And so Catherine just really admires them both and enjoys their company and conversation. And they seem to like her as well, because to her surprise... Eleanor Tilney invites her to come and spend some time with them and their family at their home, a place known as Northanger Abbey. So Catherine is delighted at the invitation and eagerly accepts, and she soon is on her way to visit the Tilney family at their estate. 
Now, Henry and Eleanor's mother died several years before, but their father, General Tilney, is an interesting character whom Catherine then begins to become better acquainted with. He is rather opinionated and strict and forceful, though he is very polite and welcoming to Catherine, but something about him doesn't sit quite easy with her, and she starts to suspect him of having dark secrets that he's hiding even from his own children. And I'm not going to go into the plot further than that because I don't want to spoil how things turn out. But Catherine has a bit of an adventure at Northanger Abbey before the story's over, though perhaps not the adventure that you might expect. So, one very important thing that I will say right now is that this novel is a parody of a type of literature that was very popular at the end of the 18th century when Austen was writing, gothic fiction. And what this genre was, um, was a kind of mix of mystery, horror, and romance. So think abandoned castles, secret passages, um, ancestral curses, international intrigues, graveyards, orphans, fainting heroines, and sensational heroes. Just consider some of the titles of specific real gothic novels that were popular in Jane Austen's day and which she actually references in Northanger Abbey. The Mysteries of Udolpho, The Tale of the Black Forest, The Midnight Bell, and quite a few others, but you get the idea. So these are the novels, this is the genre, that Jane Austen satirizes in Northanger Abbey, and she does a beautiful, hilarious job. So how this fits into the plot that I've already shared is that Catherine Morland herself loves gothic novels. She doesn't really enjoy reading much else, and uh, and Isabella Thorpe also likes this genre and encourages Catherine's taste for it. And for a while, it doesn't go much further than Catherine just really liking this literature and spending a lot of time with these books. But what happens is that this literary diet shapes Catherine's imagination. Just like in her relationships, Catherine takes words to be realities. She accepts statements and stories as the truth, even when life experience and real people contradict the stories. So Catherine develops this imagination of herself as a kind of heroine of a gothic novel. She reads the places and events around her as if they were from a gothic novel. When she first hears that the Tilney's estate is called Northanger Abbey, she's immediately swept up in her imagination, in the romanticism of living in what used to be an abbey. She imagines all kinds of things about the place before she gets there. Um, Hidden alcoves and creepy servants and forgotten secrets. And she's just so excited to visit there, not only because that's where these people that she likes so much live, but also because she wants to experience something like what she's read about in these fantastical novels. 
and it just becomes more and more of a problem, especially once she starts reading not only places, but also people through the lens of gothic fiction. But I I can't explore all the repercussions of this without ruining the book for you. So suffice it to say, Jane Austen does not believe that life is a gothic novel, and so Catherine's imaginative interpretations of things can sometimes be wildly inaccurate. So how does Catherine learn? I think her fundamental flaw is that she takes words or stories to be reality, which is demonstrated in these two main ways. The fact that she trusts the Thorpes, Isabella and John, based on their statements about themselves, even though they don't practice what they preach. And secondly, in the way she thinks of life in terms of the gothic romance novels that she loves to read. So can she get past this flaw? And how? Can she learn to correctly see the people and circumstances around her? Well, this is what I really love about Northanger Abbey. I would argue that Jane Austen's thematic premise in this book is that stories do shape how we think, but relationships do even more. So stories, both novels and people's accounts of themselves, shape how Catherine thinks for a long time, but some life experience, and most importantly, the influences of people who become her friends, end up overriding the stories she's heard. So to put it simply, Catherine learns from the Tilneys, Eleanor and Henry, how to more accurately assess the world around her. Now, are the Tilneys perfect? Absolutely not. But they are much better evaluators of people and circumstances than Catherine is. And when I read Northanger Abbey, I really enjoy watching how their influence over time shapes how Catherine thinks and even helps unmake some of the unhealthy assumptions and imaginations that once guided her thinking. I can't go into all the ways that the Tilneys reform her thinking, but what I want to point out is the way they reform her thinking. For the most part, it's not that they argue with her and persuade her out of her unhealthy ways of thinking. I mean, logic and and reason and everything is involved, but what really does the trick is the simple fact that Catherine likes them. She likes Eleanor and Henry. She admires them. And in time, she loves them dearly. And so she wants to think like they think. It's not that she has this fully formed, reasoned mindset about the world that they challenge and convince her out of with better reasons. It's simply that she ignorantly has thought one way. But after getting to know Eleanor and Henry, She likes them so much that she wants to be like them and think however they think. It's really interesting and I think very true about human nature, particularly certain personalities, that our relationships trump rationales. Catherine is willing to learn from the Tilneys because she loves the Tilneys. They are authorities 
in her mind because she loves them, not because they're better educated or, or better credentialed than anybody else. Relationships are more persuasive than rationales or stories, even. I think this is a very true insight from Jane Austen, and we see it played out for good or for evil in our own world, in our own lives. Personal influences, negative or positive, usually shape us more effectively than arguments or narratives we encounter, though, of course, those shape us as well. So just a couple examples of how this works in Catherine's life. Um, patrons, if you've heard my preview episode for the month of October, which was posted last week, then you heard the first two chapters of Northanger Abbey, and so you already know that Catherine, as a girl, was kind of a tomboy and was not very interested or skilled in the arts, like music or painting. And chapter one also specifically mentions that she wasn't interested in flowers, unless she was told not to pick them, in which case you might find her picking them. Well, later in the novel, the Tilneys give her an interest in art and also in flowers. And it's pretty clear that her sudden interest in these things arises purely from her interest in the Tilneys themselves. She wants to love what they love. So the the flowers example, I have to quote, it seems kind of random in the story itself. It's, it's oddly specific, but I think it's an important little detail that can actually illuminate the process of Catherine's entire character development. The fact that she's able to learn from these people and be transformed by them simply because she likes them and they care about her. So in chapter 22 of the book, she has not been at Northanger Abbey long, and she comes downstairs in the morning and meets Henry, and as they're talking, she notices some flowers in the room, and she says, What beautiful hyacinths! I have just learned to love a hyacinth. And Henry responds, And how might you learn, by accident or argument? To which Catherine simply replies, Your sister taught me. I cannot tell how. Mrs. Allen used to take pains year after year to make me like them, but I never could. I think that little detail is very telling. It takes a specific person, a specific relationship, to teach her this simple love of flowers. It's her friendship with Eleanor, whom Catherine wants to imitate and wants to be accepted by. I think in in many great works of literature, and in life itself, we see this amazing cyclical relationship between loving and learning. If you love something or someone, or if you even like something, you want to learn more about it. And then the more you learn about something you like, the more you'll like it. I think that's a, a fairly universal truth. Love and learning flow into and out of each other, and it's a powerful cycle, a transformative one, even. And with Catherine, we see even more specifically that it's the people we love that we learn the most from. Catherine likes novels, 
And so she does start to learn from them to her own detriment. But when she encounters people that she likes and even loves, she learns even more from them. And they help her unlearn the negative things she'd absorbed from the stories she's read. So I don't know how much sense that whole discussion makes if you haven't yet read the novel, but I, I think this is the central thematic substance of the book. And so maybe it will be helpful to have these concepts in mind if you should choose to read Northanger Abbey after hearing this episode. I highly recommend the book. Um, it's certainly more youthful than Austen's other novels, but in some ways I love it for that very fact. If you read it, don't take it too seriously. Don't take the characters or the romance plot line too seriously, because remember, this is a parody, but do take the themes of the book seriously, because Jane Austen never writes without communicating truth that is worth our time. So I commend Northanger Abbey to you, and I hope you enjoy, like I do, watching Catherine humbly learn from the people she loves. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening today, and I hope you tune in again next week. I'll be drastically switching gears and reviewing, believe it or not, a military sci-fi novel about a journalist. Next week's book is titled Operation Grendel, and the author is Daniel Schwabauer, who I am a big fan of, not only because he's a great writer, but also because he taught the creative writing curriculum that I studied in high school. And so I know personally that he's also a great teacher and just a great person. Operation Grendel is a very intriguing story, and I am excited to discuss it in detail next week. As always, I am your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wham Productions, and you can learn more about me and my writing at kittywhamproductions.com. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.